I want to ask this question this morning. Does, does the name Margaret Winkler ring a bell to anyone? Margaret Winkler. Is that, you know, nobody? Here's a picture of Margaret Winkler, right? She's a fox, right? Good looking, I guess. I don't know. From the 1920s, maybe? I don't know. Um, no? Still doesn't jog anybody's, anybody's memories? Okay, well, that doesn't necessarily surprise me because it, it, I didn't know who she was before starting to put this message together. Margaret Winkler was actually a New York film distributor in the early 1920s, and she had a certain draw towards uh, newly developing cartoon animation. Actually, two of the more popular cartoons that she was part of distributing were these two cartoons. The one on the top left is called Out of the Inkwell, and then the one on the right there is called Felix the Cat. Have you, anybody ever heard of those at all? Maybe, yeah, a little bit. Felix the Cat is kind of... Like, kind of has, I don't know, we see him every once in a while on cartoons and stuff like that and t-shirts and random. He's kind of a, yeah, I don't know. But anyways, I didn't know the Out of the Inkwell one. Um, but again, those were two of the more popular cartoons that she got to distribute. In 1923, she lost the distribution rights for those two cartoons. And, and again, they just happened to be her most popular and most successful ones. So in a bit of a panic, she desperately went looking for what could be the next biggest and best cartoon out there. Again, this was all kind of new, newly developing uh, animation for this time. And remember, too, this is also, there, were, there was no internet back then, right? The 20s, the 1920s, no internet, no social media. So she literally had to put her ear to the ground and, and, and do her work and, and do her, you know, her research to find out, you know, who, you know, the next up-and-coming cartoonist would be. So she had heard about this young cartoonist who had dabbled in drawing illustrations for uh, commercials and a handful of other different like companies um, throughout the Midwest and, and kind of on the East Coast. Um, but he also was drawn towards cartoons, right, and this new developing animation of cartoons. He had actually put together his own company, a company called Laughogram Studios, which prepared short cartoons for previews for movies. These days, we go to a movie, right, and we go and see the previews of the movies that are coming up. But back in those days, they would actually put together these little cartoons or these little shorts to, as a preview to the movie, and that's what, that's what this guy did. So truth be told, this cartoonist had more failures than he did successes. And eventually, Laughogram Studios went bankrupt. But remember Margaret Winkler, right, this, distribu- this distributor looking for the next up-and-coming person. There was this story that was called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland that a a young man named Walt Disney had adapted a miniseries and called it Alice's Wonderland. And he was trying to get it out there. He was trying to get it out to the population and and get it distributed. Margaret Winkler saw some potential in Walt Disney and decided to give his animated series a shot. Needless to say, it was a huge success. And the rest, they say, is history, right? As of Thursday, as of just this last Thursday, the Walt Disney Company was worth $252.68 billion, right? And how many of you have ever been to a Walt Disney theme park? You ever been to Disneyland, Disney World, any, you know, those places? Yeah. How many of you have ever seen a Disney animated movie? Right? Yeah. How many of you have seen any of the newer Star Wars movies or been on the Marvel kick that's been happening recently? Or you've watched anything on, on Fox Networks, whether it's baseball or football or anything else on Fox. If you've ever done any of those things, you have experienced the potential that Margaret Winkler saw in a young Walt Disney. And while most of us are not Walt Disney's per se, we all have the potential to do great things. Sometimes we just need someone else to point that potential out for us. 
so that we can truly see how our story fits into a greater narrative. Can you imagine a world without Walt Disney? Right? It's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Like, no Disneyland, no Frozen. I don't know if you like Frozen, but no Mickey Mouse, no, you know, no Marvel, no any of those things, right? And when we take it a step further and we invite God into that equation, then, then we begin to understand how our story fits into the, the greater narrative that God is writing for us. So that's what I want to ask you this morning to start off. How does my story fit into the narrative that God is writing? Sometimes, like in Walt Disney's case, it just takes someone to point out or to help us guide us or, or guide us down the path that leads us closer to God. But I believe it's important to point out also that when we bring God into this mix, it goes a step, a step further. And we actually need to discover how God works before we try to determine our place in his plans. Another way to put it is we simply just need to get to know God better because when we get to know God better, we get to discover more about who God is, God's character, and, 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 the, and the role that he plays in our lives. And when we begin to discover these new things about God, we, we typically uh, figure out and, and find out that God doesn't have just one way of working, right? There are multiple ways in which God is working at, at all times, However, he does have one purpose and one overarching character of love that, that kind of is the theme. It kind of feeds through everything that God does. So when we understand how God works, it becomes apparent then how my life fits into his plans. And then as we do more and more discovery of how we fit into God's plans, then the responsibility kind of shifts. The responsibility then becomes, it falls on us to then take care and maintain our relationship with God, to get to know Him better and better. Each day, going um, to God, coming to Him in prayer, reading His Word, uh, having our quiet times, it becomes our responsibility to dive into the great mystery of who God is in our life and take ownership of that relationship. God has a plan for our lives, and he sees the potential that we all have. And when we recognize that, we discover our place in his plan. And it's not the other way around, though. It doesn't work the other way around. When we do it the other way around and we try to fit God into our lives, it doesn't work, right? That's never, ever successful. Do you see the difference there? So today, like Jill said before, we're going to start this series about a man named Elisha. I know maybe some of you are thinking, Tony, you weren't paying attention in church last week. We were clearly talking about Elisha already. No, we're talking about Elijah. And again, I'm not sure why God and Scripture decided to do it this way, two names that sound very, very similar. Um, but they both, they both were prophets. And actually, um, this guy Elijah that we've been talking about, he was the predecessor to Elisha, the prophet. So we're going to go in our Bibles to 1 Kings 19. And actually, the slide says 15 through 18, but if you want to go and, and go back a few extra verses, maybe to verse 10, I think I'm going to start there this morning instead. And just for some context, this is, this is the passage where Pastor Steve left off uh, last week in the series Elijah that we just went through. Remember Elijah, he had done a lot of incredible things for the Lord. He was a prophet, uh, a called prophet. He had brought prophecy and direction to the Israelites on behalf of the Lord. But, but as typical of the Israelites, they have now turned on him. Right? They've now turned on this godly man, and they're actually chasing him down and trying to kill him. Right? And so we, we pick up the story here in, in 1 Kings 19.10, where Elijah, he's been on the run, and he's now living in a cave. 1 Kings 19.10 says this, He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant 
torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Maybe you've heard this next part before. It's kind of a popular passage. The great and powerful wind, then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains or tore the mountains apart and shattered rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, uh, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Yes, Elijah just repeated himself to God like God didn't get it the first time. But continue reading with me in in 19 verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have, been, or whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. See, God doesn't oftentimes reveal his whole plan to us, right? When we ask God for something or we feel like God is moving in our lives, he doesn't reveal the whole plan. But in this instance, it seems like he reveals maybe not the whole plan, but a a bigger portion of the plan than maybe we're normally used to experiencing. In fact, God spells out pretty much what's going to take place over the next 15 to 18 years in the life of Elijah. So Elijah's realizing at this point that God's plans extend beyond his lifetime. You look at what the passage says, just highlighting, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, right? God has got a legacy plan here. God has got something that is carrying on beyond the life of Elijah. God's plan doesn't end with one person, but yet he continues to work his plan through successive generations. And Elijah is now realizing that his story wasn't ending. His story wasn't ending, but that God plans to continue the work that he had started, the work that he was doing in Elijah through the next series of people. This week's passage kind of narrates Elisha's anointing, but Elisha actually won't take over as prophet for 15 to 18 years. And that story actually is going to be the the basis of next week's message, so you don't want to miss next week's message. Pastor Steve is going to bring that for sure. But similarly, uh, Hazel won't be, or he's, a, he's sorry, similarly, Hazel, Hazel uh, will be anointed king over Aram, which is kind of like modern day Syria right now. But not until after Elisha replaces Elijah and Elisha anoints Jehu king of Israel. God is already raising up the next generation of leaders for the Israelite people two kings and a prophet who will factor into the next chapters of Israel's story. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Maybe from like the last like two, two series ago when we were talking about David and the life of David. Remember we met David as a young boy and he gets anointed as king, but he doesn't actually get appointed as king for quite some time. No one generation can do everything, but each generation must see to it 
that people in the next generation are called and trained to continue the work of the Lord. For me, I, I, had, I had men and women when I was in junior high and in high school, even before that, that invested in me, that saw me as the next generation of leader, and, and they invested their time and their energy and their lives into me. That's why I, I know for me personally, I love working with middle school and high school students. Even at 43 years old, and even though I need more sleep than them and I can't keep up with them most of the time, it doesn't matter. I still love the idea of, of, of this time period in their lives where they are so shapeable and so moldable. And you have the opportunity then to share how much God loves them, how much God cares for them, and how much God wants to be a part of their life. Even, even, even going before that, like this last week we had um, our sports camp, right? We had our sports camp here, and, and in this room there was 80-plus little kids running around from kindergarten to, to fifth grade, and it was awesome. We did cheerleading, we did football, we did um, our flag football, we did soccer, we did basketball, and it was so awesome just to, to be able to teach these, these little kids not only some skills about those sports, but then also teach them how much God loves them. That's what, that's what Donnie does with his kids' ministry. That's why when we ask for volunteers to help with kids and, 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 and our youth, uh, we are looking for people that just want to invest in the next generation. And that's exactly what God is calling Elijah here in our story to do. He's calling Elijah to stop crying over the past and running away from the present. This is a time for Elijah to start preparing for the future. When God is in command, there is always hope. And Elijah is probably realizing that more so now than ever. So that begs the question, where do I see God working in my world right now? Where do you see God working in your world right now? Do you see God working in your family? Do you see God maybe at work in your community or your workplace? Our leadership team right now is going through a book called Experiencing God. And in that book, the author, Henry Blackaby, he says this, Look around at what God is doing and get in line with his plans. Look around at what God is doing and get in line with his plans. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I just get moving so quickly and I lose my focus and I just get going and I'm going and I'm going and I'm going and I forget to just stop. I forget to pause. I forget to look around at what God is doing and then get in line with his plans. I try to fit God into my plans, but it should be the opposite. I should be trying to fit myself into his plans. Because, see, God has, has written me into the story long before I even had a clue. So Elijah went up from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. See, Elisha, the, or Elijah, excuse me, the prophet-to-be, uh, or sorry, no, I apologize, Elisha, the prophet-to-be, this is <laughs> Elijah, Elisha, I told you, I don't know why God did it that way. Um, Elisha, the prophet-to-be, probably has no idea what is coming for him. But Elijah, on the other hand, the current prophet, he, he sees what God is doing. God has made, kind of revealed to him the plan, and he's now in charge of carrying out that plan. There's this wonderful passage in Psalms um, that illustrates how deeply and intimately God knows us. Psalm 139, if you haven't ever read through the chapter, Psalm 139, it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter in the Psalms. But this verse in particular, your eyes, have seen, or your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Look at those words for just a moment. Let those just sink in for a, uh, just a moment. 
know the part that always gets me is all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If God knows us that deeply, then why do we ever doubt that he's got a plan for us? If God knows, if God knew our story, he knows the, the entirety of our story before we were even a thought in our parents' minds, before we were even a, a, a blip or a speck or any, if God knows us that deeply, then why do we ever doubt that he's got a plan for us in our lives? And that when we grow deeper with him, that plan becomes more and more clear. Before I, I met my wife, Mary, um, I, I, you know, I did a little bit of dating before her, and, and, and it was one of those things where, uh, you know, through high school and college and after college, I dated around a little bit here and there. Um, but you know the one thing that I learned the most out of my dating experiences before I met Mary? I learned what I didn't want in a relationship, right? I learned what I didn't want in a relationship. And so leading up to when I met Mary, uh, I had a pretty good idea of what I was looking for in a spouse or a partner to share my life with. And Mary actually had a very similar dating experience to myself. And when we met, she pretty much knew what it was that she was looking for in a relationship as well. Mary had also taken it kind of a step further. She read this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody. Um, but, uh, and she was taking a break, right, from dating. Uh, and, and so it, this was especially frustrating for me when, when, I, when I was, you know, getting to know her because I knew very quickly after meeting her that this was a very special and different girl. And I just wanted to get her to know her better and better. So eventually I tricked her. I mean, no, I mean, I wooed her. No, I probably, I mean... I talked her into going out with me, right? So we went out, and truth be told, it was probably in between one of those things, right? Um, she might have also, really honestly, she might have been annoyed at my persistence. I don't know, you know? Or maybe she just felt sorry for me. That's a sermon for a different day. But um, <laughs> this is the thing, and this is what I'm getting at here. God was preparing us before we had even met God was preparing our lives to come together before we'd even met, before we had even met each other. And yes, while there's something magical and romantic about that, there's, there's something that I don't want you to miss here. So hear this. God had written our stories long before either of us had any clue as to what he was doing. And likewise, God knew Elisha's story long before Elisha had a clue of what God was going to do in his life and how God was going to use him in a, in a mighty way. See, as we read on in this passage, in verse 19, Elisha was out doing what he had always done. He was plowing his field. See, Elisha, he was, he was a, a, a wealthy individual. He, his parents were wealthy. He had come from wealth, and so he kind of had a lot provided for him. He could have just been, you know, somebody who hired servants and to do things or whatnot, but, but he was actually out there plowing his fields uh, in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was out there doing the work, the hard labor See, God knows where we are plowing. God sees you. God sees what you're doing. And, and, and he sees that, that when you are doing the things that, that, that make an impact on his kingdom, those things matter to him. So if you're a mom or you're a dad, you've got littles at home, don't believe for a second that the most important thing that you can be doing in your, in your kiddos' lives are just investing in them teaching them about, about how much God loves them, teaching them how to, to be, um, you know, 
little people someday and then grow into adults that, that, that are responsible. That's such an important job. And if you're in the workplace, don't believe for a second that the report that you have to turn in every Friday uh, before you can go home or the, or the thing you have to do every Monday as you get the work started, like that that stuff doesn't matter. No, it matters, especially when you do it with a joyful heart, even though it's mundane and it's like, gosh, again, again. No, when you do it with a cheerful heart, people see that and therefore they're gonna see God in you. If you're a student, there are plenty of ways to just get through school, right? But I don't believe that God wants us just to get through anything. No, what we do matters. The time that you spend learning and growing, the conversations that you have with your friends and your professors, those things matter. John Maxwell says it like this, what you do does not determine what's sacred. How you do it and why you do it, does. See, like I said, Elisha, he's, this, he's wealthy. He's got a lot of good things going for him. He's probably got a really posh life, and though, he, again, he chooses to be out there. We, th- this kind of gives us a little insight into Elisha's character, which then makes it a little bit easier to understand why God is calling him. Uh, Elisha understands the posture of humility. He understands what it means to be out there and work hard and not to just kind of live off of his parents' wealth. He's out there doing the work himself. See, privilege and prestige are no substitute for preparation. Look at the yellow there. He himself was driving the 12th pair. God was preparing Elisha whether he knew it or not. Before Elijah even showed up on the scene, God was preparing Elisha. And as I mentioned before in our story of Elisha being called next, As the next prophet, Elijah, the current prophet, is privy to God's plan. He knows where Elisha falls into God's plan, and then he's in charge of executing God's plan. But Elisha, on the contrary, doesn't know anything that's going on. He doesn't have a clue what is going on and what is coming. But this is the thing we need to pay attention when people call out our potential. Look at the yellow again. Elijah went up to him. And he threw his cloak around him. Elijah throwing his cloak over Elisha is significant. Now, if I want to just point this out real quick. If you see potential in someone today or in the next week, don't go throw your jacket on them, right? That's going to get real weird real quick, okay? Like, just don't do that. That's, this was totally like a, an Old Testament biblical thing, especially a prophet thing. So like prophets, the, a prophet's cloak, it was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of calling. And so the fact that, um, that he took his cloak and he threw it over Elisha, that wasn't a weird thing at all. It might have startled Elisha. Wait, what do you mean? All of a sudden I'm being called? Wait, wait. And, and maybe the enormity of what's happening right now uh, is all coming crashing in on Elisha. But here's the thing. It showed that Elijah saw potential in Elisha. It's the same potential that God saw in Elisha. Today in our modern world, it might, it might look, I hope it looks different. Again, don't throw your, your jacket on anybody um, unless you want to get arrested. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's probably more along the lines of just sharing some encouraging words that, to people that we see potential in, right? We need to understand that our words have power, the power to speak life or the power to actually, absolutely crush us. But especially when it comes to our potential, both having our potential called out, and then calling out the potential in others. Our words um, can, can, can be enormous. When someone speaks life and encouragement and faith into our lives, maybe a faith that we didn't know that we had, when, when someone speaks those things in our life, it feels like we can't fail. It feels like we could run up any mountain or through any wall or do anything. 
right? And likewise, when we have the same opportunity to call out potential in other people, using our words to encourage, to speak life, to show that we have faith in something that God is doing in someone, man, that can be life-changing. I want to give you a warning, though, that when you do see potential in someone, you know, make sure that you're just not blowing smoke. Make sure you're just not giving encouragement to give encouragement, right? We've all watched The Voice. We've all watched, or maybe some of us have watched The Voice. Some of us watched, so you, you know, so you think you can dance or America's Got Talent. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more skin crawling than watching someone take the big stage and see that they've got no talent, right? Someone's mama should have encouraged them in a very different way to do something very different with their lives, right? So don't, I mean, when we see potential in other people, it's important to really, to really pinpoint what that potential is and call that out in people. Don't encourage someone to do something that they should have no business doing, right? <laughs> um, if that sounds harsh, no, actually you're saving them from being on the TV and watching millions of people or millions of people watching them uh, fail, you know? Um, when I was in the seventh grade, I tried out for the junior high basketball team, right? <laughs> what the? Come on. <laughs> okay, so I'll go along with your laughter, and surprisingly, at four foot nothing, I didn't make the team. All right, there. How do you feel about yourselves now? Um, no, but at least that's what my coach said. And I can remember my coach's words. His name was Coach Andrews. He said this uh, You didn't make the team because you're too short. Ouch. Right? As a seventh grader, that really hurt. I can remember those words totally stinging. And I remember going to my parents and telling them that I didn't make the team. And you know what they didn't do? Do you know what my parents didn't do in that situation? They didn't go to the coach and demand a place for me on that team. They didn't actually even go above the coach and go to the principal and and demand a place for me on that team, taking away a spot from someone that deserved to be there. I didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't a good enough basketball player to make the team. Instead, my parents, what they did was they encouraged me to focus on sports where height might not matter as much, right? But also to to focus on the sports that I was already decent at and to work on, on getting better at those sports, things like soccer and things like golf. And I'm so excited that I got to play soccer through high school and college and I got to play golf. I still play golf today. I love that. See, maybe they knew, maybe my parents prophetically knew that I was going to top out at a whopping five foot seven, right? Who knows? But they, you know, they probably saw that I wasn't going to be the next Spud Webb or, or you know, Stephen Curry, right? Um, but what they didn't do is they didn't set me up to fail. Instead, they encouraged me not to be discouraged and to chase my potential in other areas. And that's exactly what Elijah is doing here with Elisha. He's calling out Elisha's potential. And then it's up to Elisha to figure out how to partner with God as he prepared a way to play a role in his story. But how do we do that? How do we partner with God as he prepares me, as he prepares you to play a role in his story? Well, I've got, I've got three ideas, um, and these are meant to be instructive, not imperative by any means. So just, this is just kind of thoughts about, about, how to, about how to do this. The first one is this. Be willing to turn the page. See, we read in verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? See, perhaps God won't call you to say goodbye to the past or or something from your past, but are you willing to? I I think of like switching jobs. 
and, and, and you've been doing the same job for however many years you've been doing it, you've been trained in this area, and then all of a sudden God goes, I've got something different for you. I actually want you to go and work with underprivileged kids. And your pay is going to be about half of what you're making now. But I see potential in you to change the next generation. Or you know what? I want you to actually go into the missions field. I want you to sell. I have a friend. His name is Aaron. Very successful businessman. Had a family, three kids. One day he kind of woke up and talked to his wife, or woke his wife up and said, I think God's calling me to do something else. She's like, what do you mean? I think God's calling us to move down to Mexico, and we're going to start this clinic, and, and, they, and they did. They gave everything up that they had here, all their privilege, all their, their prosperity, everything that they had here, they gave all that. They sold it all. They moved the entire family down to Mexico. And I'm not saying that God's going to do that, but the thing is, are you willing to if God asks you to? Are you willing to if God asks you to? Now, I want to point out that if it appears that Elisha, in, in going back and kissing his mom and dad and kind of getting his affairs in order, hesitates to call or, or, or hesitates at the call of Elijah, that's not the case. What this doesn't show is, uh, you know, or expose is a, is a failure of character in Elisha, not so much as the recognition of the enormity of what he's being called into, right? To be called a prophet of the Almighty God was not something to be taken lightly at all. And you think about some of the other prophets that are popular in, in Scripture, um, you know, and, and those that kind of come before him and will come after him. You got prophets like Moses and, and Jeremiah, and they both complained about their ability to speak in front of people. You've got Isaiah who balks at, at God because of his unclean lips. Surely your words can't come out of my mouth, but my lips are unclean. Samuel hears the, the, the Lord, but he doesn't know who he is. And then there's Jonah, right, who just straight up runs away when God calls him into service. See, un, there's, a, there's a difference though. Unlike these men, Elisha is not called by God directly, but he's called by his earthly predecessor. And while God appoints Elisha by name, it's Elijah that does the actual calling, which again goes to my point of just speaking life into people. When you see the potential in someone, man, tell them that you see that potential in their lives. Elisha's request to go and kiss his father and mother um, goodbye after getting his affairs in order before leaving his former life behind, it shouldn't cast doubt on his commitment. No, in fact, um, again, it kind of lets us a little bit of, lets us into a little bit of a picture of, of who his character is. He wants to make sure that his family and the people that he's been working with and his servants and all those people are taken care of um, before he leaves. Because real honestly, being called as a prophet means he might not ever see those people again. He might not ever come home again and see his mom and his dad. He might not come home again and see his brothers and his sisters and the other servants that he's worked with. This was a full-time calling. And God was going to take him in places and do things in his life that were absolutely incredible, and we'll see that in the next few weeks. What he's doing is he's making sure that he's ready to commit like there's no turning back. See, in verse 21, Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and then he gave it to the people, and they ate. He kind of threw a goodbye party for himself, right? Again, maybe God won't ask you to burn your plows, but if he does, are you willing to? And then Elisha, most likely at this point, as he's, as he's preparing to leave, realizes this, that the theme of our story is always service. The last part of verse 21 says, Then he set out to follow Elijah, and became his servant. 
Maybe God uh, won't put you in a season of service, although frequently it seems like God does. But, but if, he do, if he does do that, will you embrace it? Will you embrace it? I know for me in my life, I have found that when I get called into an area of service, whether that's at a church or my kid's school or something else, I always, always, always grow from that time. I always grow from that time. So for some, this is probably called being an apprentice. For others, it might be called motherhood. For some, it's called college internships or, or residency. For some, it might be called basic training or accepting an entry-level position. But the, the, thing, the theme with all of those is that they're all in preparation for what's next. Those are all in preparation for what is coming next. You wouldn't want a doctor that didn't go to med school, right? That didn't go through residency and learn, right? You wouldn't want a doctor that graduated high school and then starts doing operations. Just think about how terrible that could go very, very quickly. You wouldn't want someone in the, in the Navy or in the Army or in any of our armed forces to go from, to go from you know, high school to on the front lines, That's going to get messy really, really quickly. They need to learn. You need to prepare. You need to grow. You need to tap into the potential that you have. So I want to leave you with two questions here this morning. And the first one is this. Where am I seeing myself in God's story? This is a question about your potential. Sometimes God has more faith in us than we have in ourselves. Where am I seeing myself in God's story? Take just maybe a moment to think about where am I seeing myself in God's story? And if you're having a hard time seeing yourself in God's story, it's okay. We go through seasons where that happens. I know sometimes I can't figure out which way is up and I feel like I'm going, okay, well, God, what are you doing here? And it seems like God's quiet. But then that's where we have people in our lives that hopefully will speak into that potential. They'll hopefully speak encouragement into us. So if you don't have that person, come talk to me. Come talk to Steve. Come talk to one of our leadership team. We would love just to have that conversation to see, to to help you see, excuse me, where you're fitting into God's story. And the last question is this. Where is God calling me to serve? As I said before, service always equates to growth. Where is God calling you to serve? We are a set-up and tear-down operation here, except for during the summertime, which is really nice. We don't have to tear most of this stuff down. But during the school year, we have to tear this all down because there's a school that happens here. And so we have to take down the, the kids' men's classrooms and, and, and our youth classroom and all that stuff. And so we are, we are, it seems like we are always asking people to help. And if you are serving right now, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much. It matters. These chairs just don't set themselves up. The coffee that we all enjoy in the morning or the tea, that doesn't just set itself up. Thank you so much for, for your service. If you'd like to get plugged in, if you kind of feel like you, there's a call and you're thinking, okay, I want to invest in the next generation. I want to go work with little kiddos or I want to help with our students. I want to help them understand how much God loves them. Or if that's not your thing and you just go, I could set up chairs. I can form straight lines with chairs, right? I can make a mean cup of coffee. That's an easy thing to do. And we can get you plugged in. There's join the team cards back at our table or go see guest services or, like I said, come talk to me. We'd love to get you plugged in. Again, service always equates with growth. And Elisha, Elisha is going to serve the prophet Elijah. He's going to actually wash, like literally, wash his hands and do everything that Elijah asks him to do for the next 15 to 18 years as God prepares him to be the next prophet. 
but that's for next week. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us just to be here in this place today. God, thank you that you are a God who um, you see potential in us, God, that often we can't see in ourselves. Thank you for being a God who loves us and who has a plan for us. God, even when we can't see that plan, and maybe even when we don't feel like you love us, God, you are always there. We thank you so much for that. Thank you for being a God that puts up with our garbage, that puts up with our excuses. God, may may we be a people of faith that push into uh, where you are calling us. And God, may we be also people that, that speak life into others. Allow us to call out the potential that we see in other people. Because those things matter to your kingdom. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. And these things we ask and pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.